Welcome to Wave Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Wave Family Church invites you to join us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us at wavefamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready and let's dive in. We started chapter 5 last week and we took our time in that first section, which was um, directed to the shepherd to the elders, to the leaders of the church. We learned that the leaders are very important, right? Especially when you're being called to go somewhere or do something that's difficult. It's very uh, essential to have strong leaders. And so we go from there to these last three, I would say, um, admonitions that we have from Peter to the church. And before we get into that, I just wanna share with you a brief, a, a briefly an experience that I had. Um, when I turned 18, you know, we all get excited for turning 18, right? Um, everything was great, had good plans, but then there's something that threw me off on my 18th birthday. And some of you guys might, may be able to relate to me. I got this little, almost this letter, letter. It was an official United States letter, you know? And it was a, a letter that said that I had to register for the selective service. I thought, what is this, military? You remember that? Um, I never had aspirations to join the military, so I thought, no, I'm not gonna do this. Come to find out if you're an American citizen and if you're a male, you are required by law to fill that out and send that in. Now, when I turned 18, this is the early 2000s, America had just declared war on terrorism, okay? <laughs> so for me, and I think you too, right? This was kind of scary. It's like, wait a minute, does this mean that I'm eligible to be drafted? Well, that's exactly what that means. You know, if we don't have enough volunteer soldiers, that means that you, my friend, you're going and you're serving your country. So I remember that time being a little bit like, ooh, that's kind of weird, kind of scary, and thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm built for that. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Uh, because, you know, in classrooms, in just uh, being in our fr group, group of friends, this was usual for us to talk about potential war, you know, and maybe the war will come here into the mainland, the United States. But I remember being scary, scared, and I remember thinking, there's no way. If I'm, draft, if I'm drafted, I'm not going. I'm not going to go die. Like, that's not me. I'm not built for this kind of thing. And thinking, I am not equipped whatsoever to do such a thing. Um, fortunately for me, I didn't get drafted. Okay? And I didn't, never enlisted or anything like that. <sighs> Take a deep breath there for me. However, I don't know if you know this, you probably know this, but a lot of countries require their young men to join the military, right? At 18 or whatever age they have. If you're, if you're in Israel, you have to serve the military. Whether you be, you're male or female, you have to. And so if you could just think that that's an immense amount of pressure, in my opinion, to have to like get into, just step into adulthood and think, I am going to be tried. Now, if you know anything about the military, that's not just a, park in the, uh, a walk in the park. That's something that's very difficult, very trying to go through. It's a process that really just, really breaks you down for who you are. And so that they rebuild this new person, this new soldier that is uh, of benefit for their country. And it's a very tough and trying process, but the result of it is amazing. You're a refined person and you're more qualified to do the work of the military, right? And so I'm thinking about this and here's the thing. We're not in those situations anymore. Some of you guys have already served the military and you are way more uh, in tune with that process, 
You know a lot more than I do. You've gone through things that I can't even fathom. The trials that I've gone through, some of you guys, if we compare them, apples to apples, they're nothing compared to the, some of the things that you've experienced and vice versa, perhaps, right? But here's the thing. You know, Peter's talking. I'm talking to you guys, and we have a, a pretty comfortable life, I could say confidently, right? But when Peter's addressing the people in his letter, he's not saying, hey, you might get drafted. He's not saying, hey, you know, things might get tough. He's saying, hey, fiery trials are here. It's going to happen. There is no out of it. Simply because you're a Christian, you are now labeled public enemy number one, and you're going to have to go through it. And renouncing Christ is not an option for a true believer, right? And he opened with that greeting, uh, addressing the elect, those who are chosen, those who have had the grace of salvation. Their destiny is secured in Jesus Christ. And so the rest of the time that we're here is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And he's addressing them in a way that is a certain thing. You are for sure going to face fiery trials if you haven't already started to face them. And with them, it was a little bit different. It wasn't just knowing, hey, you're going to go through hard times. They could physically, they could just see what was going on there. Remember, Caesar Nero was a, he was a, he was a bad guy. He used a lot of these people and tortured, tortured them. He used them, we, they call him Nero's uh, torches, where he would hang Christians and actually light the streets with them. Um, he would put them in coliseums and fight them and for their entertainment, just watch Christians be killed. Why? Because the blame was upon them, and so simply because they were Christians. And so this is the kind of audience that Peter's talking to. Because you're going to face a fiery trial. It's here. It's at hand. It's at reach. And so you need to be prepared. It's almost like the same sermon over and over, isn't it? Be prepared. But this time he closes <laughs> a little bit different, I think a little bit on a high note, and which is very encouraging. So he closes the letter by urging the church to do the following three things in obedience for the glory of God. So there's this final three things. He talked to the elders and the, the teachers earlier, the, the pastors, and now general congregation. Three final things. There's three final things before we wrap this letter out, and this is it. We're doing it at, in obedience for the glory of God. The first one is be humble. God's people must be humble. The second thing is God's people must be watchful. And then finally we'll see, and this is where we have that sense of hope, be hopeful. So even though we're in trying times, there's still hope ahead. So be humble, be watchful, be hopeful. And we'll break it down here. First, let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 5 through 14. And this is a continuation from the exhortation that Peter gives to the elders and to the shepherds, the pastors of the day or, or the leaders of, of this time. Um, and so he goes and he says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him 
firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the grace, the, the God of all grace who has called you to the, his eternal glory, Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for such practical um, instructions, Lord, that something that we can clearly look into, practice ourselves, Jesus. Right, we thank you that you are the perfect example for all this. And Lord, as we dive into you, we ask that you would help us understand it and you would help us see it and apply it to our lives. We pray in your mighty name. Amen and amen. All right. So I hope that as we read that passage, you saw those three portions to be humble, be watchful and be hopeful. I, it stuck out to me like very obviously. So let's let's talk about this. Be humble first. So Peter had already instructed believers to be submissive to governing authorities and to, our, to their masters, wives, to their husbands, etc. Remember when we talked about that? It says be subject to them or submit to them. You know, that's a really hard thing to do just in general. Like, even if times were good, it's hard to submit to anybody, even in good times. Now, imagine being in a trying time and you're asked to be submitted or submissive to somebody else or to another, uh, say, uh, uh, authority or entity. That's a really hard thing to do, especially when the, the people, the governing authorities that you're called to be submissive to are persecuting you. Like, that's really tough, right? To submit to someone who's not for you who's not looking after your best interest necessarily, that's a very hard thing to do. And so the first thing he says is to be humble, which is really hard. Okay, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's break it down. Let's go to five, because first, he, remember, in chapters back, he says, submit to governing authorities, submit to your masters or your employers, wives submit to your husbands, and now there's another command to submit. And verse five says this, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another. He says, you who are younger, who is Peter talking about? You're probably thinking young men submitting to older men. Yes, that could definitely be the case. But Peter's referring to any, uh, uh, any offices of the church that are not elders, because we just talked about leadership. All right. He just talked about the elders, the shepherds, and now he says, therefore, you who are younger. So if you uh, have office below, let's say, elder or pastor, say you're a deacon or you're just a lay person in the church, you're just a member of the congregation, that would be younger, you younger, all right? He's talking about spiritually younger, um, uh, not, not in a sense of necessarily age, but spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? So he's talking to everyone else here and he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So if there are people who have been established as elders, as church leaders, as pastor, the congregation needs to be subject to that, needs to be submissive to that. But then it goes here, and, and I'm sorry, and before I go there, remember, we just got off of that, that, that portion for shepherds and how they ought to lead, all right? Not, not 
uh, in a way that is shameful and not in a way that's domineering. Okay, so if, if a shepherd is leading that way, it's no problem to submit to that kind of authority, let's say, right? So we have instructions, and that's why it was so important for us to look at what the shepherd needs to look like. A good shepherd, a good pastor. And now he says, all of you who are younger, be subject to the elders, to your pastors. It says, close yourselves, and then look at this, all of you with humility. Not just the younger, but the older too. Everyone is called to be clothed with humility. Everyone is called to be humble. Now this is a very, again, as I mentioned, hard thing to do because humility sometimes is a really tough thing for us to do, especially when we don't think much of the other person, right? And that's very easy to do sometimes. We get big-headed or we're overly confident in ourselves and our knowledge and what we know and our positions and we think less of those who are in leadership. And so it's hard to humble ourselves just in general. So it's much more uh, harder to humble, humble ourselves to leadership that we probably don't look up to in the first place. This is interesting. Leadership is also called to be humbled and to clothe themselves with humility as they lead. And so this is just something that I need to note, and it's very important. It says, um, the younger to submit to the older, and we establish that's not necessarily in regards to age. You guys need to know this. I think this is important. Just because you're older, just because let's say you've been a Christian for 10, 20 years, that doesn't make you a mature Christian. You are not by default a mature Christian just because you have been a follower of Jesus for many years, right? Your experiences could be so mundane or so little, or your knowledge of the scripture and the word could have just not advanced whatsoever. It could be that people just settle where they are and not necessarily to their fault. It could be that these men, these women have not been shepherd to learn more and to grow more in their faith, to mature more in their faith. And so just because you've been a Christian, let's say 10, 15, 20 years, that doesn't make you a mature Christian, okay? And it's very possible that a young man in their 20s, all right, 25, 30, is a very mature Christian because that person dives into the word, he craves the word right? And he's eager to, to, to understand it and to learn it. He's being discipled. He's experiencing life as someone who's living according to God's word. That person can be an elder because he is mature in the faith. Does that make sense? And so now think about it this way. You're an older person, <laughs> but you're a new Christian, let's say, and one of your elders is like 20. How would that make you feel sometimes? I'm um, to submit to that young man. That could be very, very challenging, couldn't, could it not? And nevertheless, Peter says, hey, submit, younger, submit. We're not talking age, we're talking spiritual maturity. And of course, you know, we have to have that respect for one another. It is absolutely good for the younger to submit to the older and just in the sense of reverence that these are people who are older than us. They're our elders, right? So it goes both ways. So the church doesn't necessarily need to be ran by old men, <laughs> okay? Young men can be leaders too. And so I just wanted to clear that up. You do, you're, you're not a senior saint just from years. It's really experience. It's really your commitment to the word. It's really how you dedicate yourself to living righteously according to God's word. And so uh, this is very important for us to know, and this is very important for us to really practice to clothe ourselves in humility toward one another. And then look at this. Let's keep reading. And it says, For God opposes the proud, but give, gives grace to the humble. Now that's a very interesting and deep statement. God opposes the proud, 
but he gives, gives grace to the humble. Now, uh, some of you guys have previous church experience, maybe, maybe not. This church is still fairly new where we haven't had much conflict at all. <laughs> Praise God, right? But there are moments where we have generational wars, where the young people don't like the way the old people do things, and the old people are really frustrated by the younger people, right? Uh, the, younger, the, the younger people want to be fresh and new and radical and do something exciting and crazy. Let's put more distortion on that guitar, maybe, you know, who, whatever it may be. And the older people are like, hey, hey, calm down, dude, you know. And sometimes it causes friction. And sometimes it causes this cultural war. But, but Peter's saying, hey, 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 we need to come together here. Regardless of where we are in life, we need to serve one another. And we need to clothe ourselves in humility because what causes opposition is something ugly and it's called pride and God hates that he opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble and so this pride this is the sin of pride is is really interesting and it's something that we really need to be more and more aware of because Jesus was far from prideful and he had every right to be prideful Right? When Jesus came, he clothed himself with humility, as we read here. He served his disciples. They called him teacher. They called him master. They called him rabbi. They called him Lord. And then there's this, this scene where he takes off his outer garments and he wraps himself in a towel and he starts washing the feet of his disciples. He serves them as a servant would. This is an attitude of a servant. This is not the attitude of someone who's prideful. Right? And so God... God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. This, this is just a very important for, thing for us to understand that Jesus exemplified humility so beautifully, and we need to remember it always because pride sneaks in all the time, especially when we don't see it coming. All right? I, I, I love uh, this description by Paul for true humility. It's beautiful, and it's described in Philippians uh, chapter 2. If we can turn there, Philippians chapter 2, I want to read verse 1 through 11. This is Christ's humility. Beautiful example to us and how we can practice this ourselves. Um, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind now look at these characteristics that paul is mentioning here these are characteristics that are positive that are upbuilding that are loving that are caring they are based out of humility towards one another he says complete my joy by having the same love being in full accord and one mind do nothing from selfish ambition because that's called pride or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Looking into our own interests is exactly what pride is, right? But setting that aside and considering other people's interests first, that's called humility. Verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, Jesus was God, is God. And he took the flesh, and even though he was equal to the Father, to the Spirit, he did not count equality to that. That is like ultimate humility right there. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is absolutely humiliating. If you know anything about Roman crucifixion, Verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beautiful example of humility. Humility is not demeaning ourselves. It is not doing that. You probably heard this before. It is not thinking poorly of ourselves. I hope that you don't do that in, in efforts to be humble. It is not demeaning yourself, not thinking poorly of yourself. It's simply thinking of others and not yourself. That's humility. Not thinking of yourself, thinking of others, thinking of someone else, thinking of how he's doing, she's doing, how are they doing, right? What do they need? How can I serve them, you know? What do they need? to be loved, to be cared for. That's humility. Um, so here's the thing. We can never be submissive to each other until we're first submissive to God. Think about that. If we know that God is our ultimate king, right, our Lord, then of course we serve him with all gladness, with all ability, because he gives us the grace to be able to do that kind of thing. Anything that we do, any good work that we do is by God's grace, because there's no way we could just do it from the goodness of our hearts that's non-existent right? It is God's grace that, that, that pours it into us, that moves us to do what is good according to his will, his word. Um, see, it's important to understand this and write this down. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He's, Peter here is quoting from Proverbs 3.34. He, God opposes the proud. Sometimes we wonder, why is God not answering my prayers? Why is my life so terrible? Why don't I have the ability to love someone else? Why is just the things just not coming together? Sometimes we wonder these kind of things. And why is God just so mean to me? You know, and we have all these questions and we really truly don't know the answers. But God is giving us something here that's very clear. God opposes the proud. All right, so if you're someone who deals with pride, someone who deals with uh, uh, the self-satisfaction, and trust me, this is really easy to do. I've, I catch myself being so prideful sometimes, making everything all about me at times. God opposes that thing. He looks down on that. He hates pride. Let me show you this. Um, let's go to, uh, <clears throat> let's see, yeah, let's, let's go to Proverbs 8.13. Look, look, look at how God feels about the sin of pride. In Proverbs 8.13, it says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. That's hating evil. It's, it's loving the Lord, fearing, revering the Lord. Pride and arrogance, though, and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate, says the Lord. Imagine being hated <laughs> by God. Pride is hated by God, right? So when we're prideful, God does not like that. Doesn't mean that he hates you, but he hates that action that you exercise continually. He hates that. And so he gives grace to the humble, opposes the proud. Please remember that. Whatever it takes, when we get in the way of ourselves, remember God doesn't like that. We need to humble ourselves because then he gives us grace to do what we need to do. When we set ourselves aside and we say, okay, it's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. What do you want me to do? And it's amazing how God just graces us with the ability to be able to move forward. Remember, it was pride that turned Lucifer into Satan. You can read that, uh, read about that in Isaiah uh, chapter 14. Uh, and then just to note, the only antidote of pride 
is the grace of God. And we receive that grace when we step away from ourselves and yield to the Lord and when we are humble. Now let's keep reading in verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Now this is very important. It says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because we're being asked to humble ourselves to people that we don't necessarily trust, right? We're being ourselves to humble to our governing authorities who are persecuting us or to our boss who's not very kind to us, right? Or maybe the husband's not really great and you're being asked to humble the, to yourself to these people or to our leaders in the church. It says, humble yourself, therefore under the mighty hand of God, trusting him that in the proper time he will exalt you. God's got you, all right? God is going to take care of you. If you're being obedient to his commands, to his requests, he's going to care for you. He's going to be watchful over you. He's going to do what is best for you. And he's going to move in the lives and the hearts of those who do lead you. So we can trust him. We can lean on him. We ought to trust him and lean on him always. Casting, verse 7, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, this is right out of Psalm 55, 22. It says, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. What does this mean? The saved are saved, right? Those, it, it's Christ's righteousness has been counted to us. So regardless of what happens in this world, whatever trials happening, God will not allow anything to, to take us away from his hand. All right. And so in that we have a, a hope. And we'll talk about that in a second. But that was the first point. <laughs> be humble. Because God blesses that. That grace for us to be able to do good works comes out of um, uh, just the Lord just pouring his, himself on us because we're humble, because we allow him to. Pride gets in the way of that thing. The second thing that we see here is to be watchful. Um, verse 8 says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. See how those are together? Because if you're not sober... <laughs> How can you watch out? You're not looking out for anything, right? It says, be sober-minded, be clear-minded, and then be watchful. Watch out. That, is, that sounds like a warning, doesn't it? Well, what are we watching out for? It says here, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We are being watchful because we have an enemy, we have an adversary, and you and I know him as the devil or Satan, right? Satan means adversary. Did you know that? It's a title. It's not his name. It's a title. And devil means accuser or slanderer. Also a title. Okay, so we talk about Satan. We talk about the devil. It's really just characteristics of what they do. They slander. They deceive. It's evil, right? And they're after you. They want to destroy you. They want Satan and his demons want to bring you down with them because they already know that they have been defeated. But the way that they are described is very interesting and I think uh, worthy of note. The, the, Satan is described as a serpent, a deceiving serpent, and also a devouring lion. Now, think about what those animals are. A deceiving serpent and a devouring lion. Not a rattlesnake. A rattlesnake warns you, right? But there are some snakes, fellows. They just sneak up on you and before you know it, you're gone, right? That's the, the characteristic that we have here from Satan. Now, when you think of those types of animals, do you think, oh, that's a cute, cuddly animal. I can just prance over to him and pet him or mess around with him or joke around with him, yes or no? No. And so what we need to do is we need to recognize that this is 
more of an enemy than we can fathom sometimes. Sometimes we don't have the right perception of Satan, and so we get tossed around like nobody's business because we keep playing with fire, if that makes sense, right? So how can we find victory against this adversary? Well, first we need to acknowledge that he's dangerous, and we have to have a level of respect for him. And what do you mean a level of respect for Satan? Okay, any of you guys know electricians? Yeah? Yeah? I really admire anyone who is an electrician because that's a very scary job, okay? I, uh, was, I had a job back in California where we were dem demolishing a building and we were just gonna rewire the whole thing, everything brand new, and they gave me this cool set of pliers, wire cutters, you know, and we're doing this whole thing not knowing anything about electrician, just being told, you know, we need to just take everything down. I go and I do this on a live wire. Do you know what happens when you try to cut a live wire with a pair of pliers? It explodes. And it scared me a lot. It went boom, the pliers were gone. <laughs> that explosion completely broke the, 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 the metal pliers that I had and it scared me to the point where I'm shaking and I don't want to mess with those wires anymore. Like someone needs to make sure that the electricity is turned off before we continue doing any of this because this electricity has the ability to not just hurt someone but potentially even kill somebody, yes? And so electricians, I admire them, I don't know why they would choose to go and play with electricity all the time, right? Except that they know it, they understand it, they respect it. They realize that this is a dangerous thing, right? And so when you understand what you're dealing with and when you have a good respect for what you're dealing with, then you can handle it. Then you can confidently say and know, this is not gonna hurt me and I'm gonna manage it the way that I need to manage it, right? Satan's similar to that. We can't just go and like, you know, it might get us. Instead, we need to know it, and then we handle it. We respect it, we handle it. But here's the thing, though. We can, we can know him. <laughs> we can understand how he works, and we do have the ability to handle him like a snake has uh, the ability to handle a snake, uh, or like a handler has the ability to handle a snake, right? You have to learn what you're dealing with before you go and you mess with it. This is the kind of warning that we have from Peter is don't think less of the devil than you ought to, but also don't be deceived by him because he makes himself also scarier than he ought to, right? When I think of that kind of thing, I think of Plankton from SpongeBob, how sometimes he comes across as big and scary and then you realize he's just this little thing, but don't be deceived. Satan, the Satan that's described in the Bible does have power. He has the ability to manipulate, to deceive. Just take a step back and look at this world. How many people have been deceived? How many people are totally lost? And they're broken. This world is, is filled with brokenness today because of Satan's deceit. And so we need to be watchful because as a deceiver, it's interesting the kind of tools that he uses to get into our lives, to get into our minds. He, he gets us to believe things that are far from truth and sometimes he uses the scriptures. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted? How did Satan tempt Jesus? Isn't it written? And he would quote the scriptures. But Jesus being fully equipped, right, being Jesus in the word, he used it to defeat Satan. He handled him correctly. He put him in his place, which is definitely under God and Christ. Amen. He, Satan is not, does not compare to who Jesus is, but nevertheless, he is a dangerous adversary and he is here. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. 
really quick. This is in, the, in regards to the armor of God. I just want you to see how uh, uh, the, the adversary is uh, explained here a little bit and why we need to be equipped. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So it's interesting that to go against the devil, armored is required. That means that he's not an easy opponent. We need to have the full armor of God because it says here in 11 that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. This a dummy scheme? No. Someone's smart schemes. Okay. Someone of intelligence, someone who has intention and purpose will scheme. So let's not think that Satan is dumb. Sometimes we say, oh, he's so dumb. Yeah, he's dumb for what he's done, for what he's done, right? But he's still a smart adversary. And we need to be watchful for those schemes. We need to have the right equipment to be able to battle it. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now look at the description of what we're fighting against. This is something pretty big time. Look at it. It says, The rulers, authorities, Cosmic powers, this present darkness, spiritual forces. That's, that's not a weak enemy. Do you see that? This is what we're against, with, against um, um, with. And we need to make sure that we take up the whole armor of God, as it says here in 13, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, to stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, Put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes uh, um, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. And look at this, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is the only offensive tool of that armor. And that is the word of God. And that is how we fight our adversary. That is how we fight Satan, is knowing God's word. Which is why Peter earlier said, hey, crave the word. You know, crave it like a child or an infant craves milk. Because this is a, our lifeline right here. Our adversary, the devil, is looking to sabotage us, to distract us, to deceive us. Be watchful. We've talked about this in the past. How does someone who specializes with counterfeit money do it? They know the real deal, right? And so when the counterfeit is, 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 is put in front of them, they know that's fake. And so likewise, when you hear other things that people preach that are not the gospel of Jesus, we need to recognize it. We need to know that Satan is a great pretender and there are people who preach really nicely, but they're far from the truth. Jesus says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He says that in John 8, 44. He's the father of lies and he's a liar. But here's the thing, though. He's really good at it. So sometimes we think, yeah, that sounds right. So be watchful. Be constantly aware of what the word says so that you can resist him. You can recognize him. And it does say here in, the, in, the, in this passage to resist him. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the word. So here's 
the other thing that's really good is Satan is, is totally resistible, you know? We don't have to succumb to him. We can resist him by knowing God's word. And, and then a, a sense of encouragement is, regardless of what you're going through, if you feel like you're currently under attack, you know how sometimes when we're going through things, we feel like we, our life is so bad? Like recently, I feel like my wife and I have just been dealing with constant trial. Like our, just there's been things that we've been having to deal with. Like if it's not one thing, it's another thing, and it's another thing, and it makes me feel like, man, our life is marked for suffering, you know? But the encouragement that we have here is that we're not alone. We're not the only ones dealing with this type of suffering. Other people perhaps have deeper and, and, and far worse circumstances that they're dealing with, right? And some people actually understand what we're going through as well. And so it's very encouraging to know, no, 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 it's not just me, right? It's everyone. God's people is suffering. We're all under attack, which is why we need to stand together. We need to close ourselves with humility. We need to be subject to one another. We need to resist the devil. All right? Continue. <clears throat> Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And this is why we can be hopeful. And this is our final section. Peter closes his letter with a positive note. And he reminds us that there is hope in Christ. He's been talking about this, this whole letter. We have a living hope ahead of, of us. And this is truly a little while. He says, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. <clears throat> what a final word of comfort, truly. God will empower and glorify those who remain steadfast in their faith, especially under trying times and suffering. And here's what I love in this last section. It says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is bigger. So regardless of who our opponent is, who or what trials we're facing, God has dominion and power forever and ever. He's bigger. And I'll tell you what, he's already won. I'm pretty sure that Satan was quite happy to see him on the cross. And to have seen that Christ died, I'm sure that he rejoiced like, oh my goodness, I think I, think I did it, right? But on the third day, oh, that was, it was over for him. <laughs> there was no way. And, and I love the passage that says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why? Because Christ has dominion forever. He's creator. Nothing surpasses him. Nothing is bigger than him. And for that reason, we can be hopeful. For that reason, if we lean on him, if we cling to him, we know that there's a hope ahead for us, for all of us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let me give you a few takeaways, and then I'm going to get into that final greeting section. First takeaway is that God's grace <clears throat> is what enables us to do what we must. It's God's grace that enables us to do what we must. We can't, you know, be gracious with people. <laughs> God gives us the grace to be gracious with people. Our, our, our instinctive is to be crude and mean and, and retaliate all the time. But in our humility, he graces us with the ability to be kind, to be good, to do what he has called us to do. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things and all time, you may abound in every good work. God gives us that. It is his grace that helps us to admit to one another. It is his grace that allows us to lead well. It is his grace that protects us and sanctifies us. It is his grace that humbles us. See, it is by his grace that we are saved. And if we understand that, if we understand that salvation, then by all means, 
Lord, if you saved me, if you rescued me from what was due to me, I'm here, I'm at your service. And it is the Lord who sends us out and he says, go, bear witness of me, make disciples. We can only do that by his grace. There is really no power within us to do otherwise. It is only by his grace. The second takeaway I want to share with you is by God's grace, we can resist the devil. Otherwise, he'll win. But he's the one who equips us. He's the one who graces us to know what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false. He has graciously sent Jesus not only to be tempted, but also to be victorious over Satan. It's been done, guys. The cross finished it. Remember he said it is finished? Satan has been defeated. And uh, uh, man, I'm pretty sure he thought he won, but no. Jesus resurrected. First um, John 3, 8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We cling to him. It is his grace that allows us to overcome. It is his grace that allows us and compels us to do what is good, to pursue righteousness, truth, and that is how we overcome and resist the devil. Takeaway number three. We know we're going to glory. This isn't it. This isn't our best life. God has called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. This is the wonderful inheritance that Peter described in chapter 1, verse 4. He said that our inheritance was, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is what we hope for. That is what we look ahead in the midst of these trying times and suffering. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Truly, truly, you have no idea how good it's going to be to be face to face with our Creator. You know, we may have questions like, what's heaven going to be look like? Is there going to be this? Is there going to be that? Am I going to be this? Am I going to be that? When you're there, you, you won't care. I promise you. You're going to be fully satisfied. You're going to be totally blown away with what it's like and that is promised to the believer to those who are faithful and so we have that um that promise of eternal glory now let me finish this chapter in verse 12 the final greetings it says by sylvanus which by the way is silas um that's peter's secretary remember he's the one who wrote it out for him so peter was dictating and and, and silas or sylvanus was writing this down he says, by him, a faithful brother, as I regard him. Uh, just so you know, this is also the same Silas that worked with Paul. Okay? <clears throat> he says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting or encouraging and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So I have a kid's takeaway. Kids, I want to just talk to you for, for a second. Here's your takeaway. The Bible is truth. You guys live in a very tough time. This is a really tough time to be a kid, all right? But God chose you to be here for this time, which is really important. It's really interesting. And you need to know that truth is found here in God's word because you're going to be tried to be deceived everywhere you go. You're going to find things, concepts, ideas that sound great, but if it does not align with this, it is false. The Bible is truth. So... We don't have to be confused. <laughs> we don't have to wonder what we ought to do. It's all here for us. And is, if we understand this, guys, we're going to be okay. We're going to be able to serve the Lord well. He's going to bless us. The Bible is truth. 
He's, it's the lamp onto our feet. It's kind of like that, path, that, that light, the light that lights up our pathway and we know where to go. And so let's finish this passage. It says, stand firm, 13. She who is at Babylon, this is talking the church in Rome. Rome was described to be as Babylon because previously in the Old Testament, uh, Israel was exiled to Babylon and Babylon was the supreme power of the world at the time. And so this is metaphorically speaking, saying she, the church, who is at Babylon, at the supreme power of the, the world, which is Rome. So Peter is writing from Rome. He says, <clears throat> who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. I know that was a lot. <laughs> um, but I hope that you're encouraged by this first letter of Peter. Now, now that we have finished 1 Peter, I, I challenge you to do this. Read the whole thing. It's not, it's not that much, guys. Five chapters. Read it from start to finish and see what it means now that you're understanding a little bit more context and a little bit more of what's going on here and the condition, situation that believers were then and the hope that is found through Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word this time together. We ask, Father, that you would uh, just help us remember or help us to be humble, Father, in all things, that we would submit to one another. For this glorifies you. And this um, comes with a promise of grace to be able to do good things, Lord Jesus, things that are hard to do otherwise, Father. Help us be watchful. Help us know our adversary, Father, in a way that we can uh, resist him always, Father. Help us know your word, stand on your truth, be well-grounded, Father, that we would know him, we would see him, we would be alerted by, by his incoming, Father. And, and Lord, thank you that we are already victorious by the work that you have done on the cross. And Lord, help us be hopeful because times sometimes get dark and gloomy and it's hard to see past the trial. But Lord, your promises are true and, they're, and you are a faithful God. So, Lord, we just ask that you would help us remain hopeful, that you would help us remain steadfast, Lord Jesus, and help us remember that the time that we have here is just a little while compared to eternity. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.